Lord God, we know that there is nothing particularly holy about this place. Maybe except for how many times we have met you here in this place. I thank you that you choose to meet with your children. Thank you. Lord, no matter what our earthly experience of fathers has been, that you are a good, good father who delights to meet with your children. But Father, we confess that our vision has become cloudy. God, we live among unclean people and our lips themselves, as Isaiah professed, are unclean. Our vision has become clouded by all the competing things which desire our affections. God, thank you that that you choose, even in the midst of our clouded vision, even in the midst of our confusion, you choose to make yourself known. And, And God, as we become aware again of your presence as we gaze upon your beauty, Lord, everything else pales in comparison. God, thank you that um, you reveal yourself in myriad ways to us through your creation, through the written word, through the living word, Jesus Christ. I thank you that you're still speaking, still inviting us to go higher and farther and deeper into you. God, as we gather this first Sunday of our new calendar year, God, we recognize again that your majesty and your glory only tends to magnify how far short we've fallen. God, that very vision which invites us forward, the evil one wants to take and and use to condemn us, Father. Our own flesh would desire to condemn ourselves. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you again, God, that you not only created the world, but, but when the world turned its back on you, you became flesh and walked among us. You humbled yourself so that somehow our relationship with you might be restored. Oh God, forgive us our sins, for they are many. By the blood of Jesus, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God, allow us to lift our gaze from our own brokenness and failures and and instead set them on something so beautiful that nothing can compare. God, grant us courage to, to cry out to you and to live into this new reality that is ours in the kingdom. Father, thank you that even when we don't know how what to say, you invite us to speak with you this first Sunday 
of the new year, God, we join myriad saints who for generations, for millennia, have called out to you, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Would you say that again? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Goodness. Well, as we begin this new year, as we begin a new series, I'm so grateful that we worship a generous God whose greatest desire is to provide for you. Certainly, certainly, physically but also emotionally and, and spiritually. So I invite you, let's, let's open the Word of God together. Let's go deep together. Uh, I'm going to try my darndest not to preach all six weeks of this series in the first day, but just begin us with just a couple of thoughts to help us reorient ourselves. We, we're so familiar, aren't we, that if you open up... Um, uh, a Google app and, and you think you're in New York and the Google app is showing you Chicago, right? Um, then, then it's going to be very confusing. What we want to do is reorient ourselves to the kingdom of God, right? We live in an earthly kingdom and, and, and God loves that. God planted us here in this earthly kingdom. But our citizenship is in another one. And I don't know about you, but periodically I need to be reoriented toward that kingdom rather than this one. So the way we want to do that is by looking a little bit at the nature and character of God and in the process of that, looking as well at our own nature and character and then just marveling together at how God has brought those two things together. Our... um, our topic of generosity is fresh in my mind. I, um, my parents were um, amazing uh, financial stewards. Um, uh, they, I think, uh, could remember days um, their parents um, walked through some of the more difficult seasons um, we've known in the United States um, in, in recent history. And and uh, and honestly, they they found themselves in a place where um, where uh, they were vulnerable to fear. Would there be enough? Right. And so um, they were just always ahead of the power curve. They did everything right. They um, they uh, were frugal. Um, I was thinking about it yesterday. My mom didn't have a car until she was probably 45 years old. Um, I, it sounds oppressive. A lot of you immediately said, well, that was pretty selfish of your dad. They shared the car, right? But he had to take that car to work. And so during the daytime, uh, uh, it was, it, there's just so many ways that they were so frugal. Well, 
Well, to a certain extent, it really paid off. They, um, um, they had a first career in the military, a second career uh, in teaching, and, uh, and all those things came together in the end of their life, and, and they had plenty, re- plenty of resources, right? Here's the deal. They had plenty of resources their whole life, right? Um, but the vulnerability was was fear. Uh, now, now, none of us uh, knows for certain what tomorrow holds. I share with you that I've been humbled in that many times recently, thinking I knew what tomorrow would hold, and uh, everything changed on a dime. But the sweet invitation of God is to reflect Him in His character even before the evidence is there, right? To reflect His holiness even before we are holy. To reflect His generosity even before we are at that place where we think that we're financially secure. What was really interesting for my dad was um, after my mom passed away, then then he just he just tried to make up for lost time. Uh, I mean, he would meet people at the drugstore and, and ask them, how can I support you financially, you know? And yeah, yeah, I know all the children are going, what? And our little engine is going up. And um, in, in his 80s and 90s, he became one of the most generous people I know. Um, I don't want to wait till I'm 80 or 90 to experience that, right? I want I want to experience that now. I want to I want to so have my confidence in God's ability to provide that I'm able to right now reflect his character and nature. I'm able right now to be generous to everyone. I mean, we'll explore this together over the next 6 weeks, but but let's begin uh, right in the single greatest teaching the world has ever known, right in the middle of of the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus speaks powerfully to principles which which can transform us now. Uh, you'll explore this in your small groups, but but in the previous few verses, we're going to be in chapter 6 of Matthew, uh, beginning at verse 19. But if you were to read those first 18 verses, you would see that he's actually giving us key disciplines that will set us free. He's given us... The, the discipline of giving. He's given us the discipline of, of, of prayer. He's given us the, the gift of forgiveness. He's given us the, the, the spiritual gift and discipline of fasting. But then it's almost as if his mind is drawn back to, um, to that first discipline of giving. And he begins to speak in Matthew six nineteen. Hear the word of God, would you? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then our memory verse for today. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Would you say that with me? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he continues, The eye 
is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then he comes back again. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The very word of God. Didn't sound super thankful. Ah, now you're meddling, God, right? Now you're meddling, right? Well, let's, I want to just kick us off uh, on this communion Sunday uh, with a couple of, of powerful questions, okay? Where does your treasure lie, right? Where does your treasure lie? Now, as I say it, I'm saying it kind of weirdly, aren't I? Because it's kind of a double entendre, right? It, it's kind of two questions in, in one, right? Where do you, in what do you find your treasure, right? But also, in what ways is your treasure lying to you, right? But before we explore that, I want to just ask for a second, what is it? What is it that you treasure, right? I was trying to think of some kind of analogy to, to break this down, but... Fresh in my mind is the analogy of safe deposit boxes, right? Uh, with my parents uh, passing away, uh, all of a sudden I inherited a key. And it's one of those odd-looking keys, right, that you go, this is not a normal key. And it wasn't. It was a safe deposit box key. And I have to tell you, I've had several moments in, in, in the last few months where I, with fear and trembling, going back into my dad's house that first day after uh, that I got back there after he passed away, I was scared to go in there. I, I just didn't know how I would respond, right? And I had the same thing in the months previous as, as my sister gave me that safe deposit box key and, and said, you go down and open that box, right? And what would I find in there, right? Would I find, as my grandmother feared, evidence of horse thieves in my background? That was her great fear, that our, 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 her grandchildren would discover that there were horse thieves. That's like car thieves, by the way, right? In, in her family background. What would I find? Well, you know what? And you would probably agree with me. What what you expect to find is what's really precious to my folks, right? What what is valuable? Does that make sense? What is valuable to them, right? Uh, you would you'd expect to find things that are most precious to you. You'd expect to find things that you value financially. You might expect, and we did find pictures of significant people and significant moments, right? You might expect to find deeds to property, um, real estate, but also, but also 
probably second to that. Our biggest investment, especially nowadays, is our vehicles. You know, maybe maybe um, the deed to the car. You you might expect to find um, uh, evidences of covenants and contracts that my parents had entered into, not the least of which was 68 years of marriage together, right? Yeah, wow, there it was, right? Uh, like it was yesterday, this document that, that signified two lives becoming one. Well, well the reason I think about safe deposit boxes is because, because I think that each of us kind of has a safe deposit box in our heart now, right? It might not be, you, you might have a physical one somewhere, but regardless, you probably have a place in your heart where maybe only you know what is in it. But, but it's, it's things that are all of these things to you, precious, valuable. Um, contractual, right? Take just a moment, would you? Just think for a second. What is it that you treasure? What's in the safe deposit box of your heart? Would you do that just for a moment? I have to confess, as I think about that question myself, that I, um, I struggle a little bit, right? How do, I, how do I really know what it is I treasure? I've shared with you before when I took the emotional maturity test about five years ago, um, I came out with the emotional maturity of a middle school boy, okay? And, and a large part of that uh, um, is... Um, that as a man, I never um, asked myself these kinds of questions. What is really precious to me? Precious is a girly word. I'm sorry, right? <laughs> Treasure, right? I, I'll talk to you all day about finances, right? But, but there are things that are much more valuable than money, amen? See, but I'm not used to, I'm not used to thinking about that. Here, then, is... Um, I don't know, the word miracles on my mind but it's, it is, is the incredible wisdom and insight of Jesus that he helps even emotionally constipated people like me um, understand how to discover what it is I really treasure, right? How do you know what it is you really treasure, right? Look where you spend your money. I, I, in my original notes, put, you know, look at your checkbook, right? And I realize a lot of you don't use checkbooks anymore, right? I uh, know, but look where you spend your money, right? Um, it's insightful. Um, uh, one, of, one of the applications for today is just to say, many of you do this on a regular basis, Several of you are, are obsessive about this. You know exactly where every dollar you spend goes. I'm not one of those people. 
So for the last week, I've been spying on my money, right? I've been, I've been saying, where exactly did that go? And, and it surprises me. $1.50 yesterday went to a hot dog and Coke at Costco. If, I know, I know. You just learned volumes about me, didn't you? In Costco, there's one thing there. Uh, a hot dog, there's another thing there. But, but you know what? If I had waited, if I had not been thinking about that, I never would have remembered that, right? So when you, when you spy on your money, you learn all kinds of things about yourself. Uh, by the way, if you want to do this, uh, open up your subscriptions on your, on your phone and find out what money is being taken out of your account on a regular basis uh, for things that you once wanted but have now completely forgot about but are still, you know, it's amazing. When you spy on your money, you start to discover where it goes. But I'm going to suggest to you, no, no, Jesus, I think, is suggesting to us that, that where your money goes is reflective of what you really treasure. I spend $70 a month to play racquetball. I know. Isn't that crazy? You'd think I could include in there to work out, to jog, to exercise, to shower, to do all those other things. But no, no, right? Uh, I must treasure racquetball, right? By the way, there's a whole psychology behind that. I'm, I'm clinging to the last abilities that I have. As a, as a physical man, right? Um, so, but wow. If, if you had asked me, would you just dish out cash every time you um, want to play racquetball? I'd say, no way am I going to pay that much money, right? But I do every month. I do every month. It didn't start that way. It was like $35 when I started. But now it's $70, right? Now it's 70 So So, wow. Where... Where, how do you know what you treasure? Look where you spend your money, right? Uh, um, and, and here's the first of, of, of two things I want to think about treasure. Money lies, right? Treasure lies to you. What am I talking about? Treasure says things to you that, that maybe bring you comfort but are not true, right? Are not true. What am I talking about? In what ways does your treasure lie to you? Your treasure says, I'll make you happy, right? Uh, and studies have been done. Uh, when you have more money, does that make you happier? No, no. Certainly, if you're, if you're absolutely in poverty, money can bring a different level of happiness. But that tails off right after the poverty line, right? So that people with with money all around them are less happy even. We discovered that in Mexico, did we not? We're, we're building houses for families that have no home. When I say houses, we're building yard barns for families that have no yard barn, no house to live in. Their kids are playing in the sewer outside that runs down the middle of the street of the colonia, right? And their kids are happier than I am, right? They're families are happier than I am. Your treasure lies to you. 
Money cannot make you happy, right? Another lie. I can make you successful, right? If you just have enough money, you'll be successful. How about another one? I can provide for you always, right? I will always provide for you. How did that work in 2008? How did that work last year, right? Um, Wow. Wow. I will be your security, right? There was... A brief window where where financial security brought other kinds of security, but that can go away tonight, right? It's a lie. It's a lie. How about I will always be with you, right? <laughs> no, you might be gone tomorrow, treasure. Now, let me just press for just a moment. We're going to be talking about money because money is just the simplest uh, summary, is a shorthand, right, for treasure. But, but let's be careful because there are many more things that we treasure other than money, right? Um, relationships, right? And, and we think, oh, those relationships will be with us forever, right? I got lulled into sleep, right, by, by 88 years with my parents, right? They're 88 years. For me, 65 years with my parents being there. I, I, I will stop whining. Some of you lost your parents in your childhood. Some of you lost your parents in your youth. But I was spoiled into thinking that those would always be there, right? And even something as precious as family won't always be there, right? Even even the ones you love cannot make those promises. So we're going to talk about money as shorthand for this, but it really, it really speaks to all the things that we treasure as well. Another lie, I am enough. If you just have money, you'll have enough, right? No. Another lie, I will save you. Really? Really? And these are just the ones I was coming up with over the last week, but another lie that money and mammon speaks is that I can give you life. I can give you life. No, you can't. No, you can't. I can use you in living, but you can't give me life. By the way, did you hear almost something spiritual about those things that I was saying. I mean, did you hear something spiritual? I know God has said those same things. And so we're starting to set up a tension between God and stuff. Between God and money. But do not, do not fall prey to the lie that money brings, that it can be those things for you, right? Two foundational principles as we begin this series together. You heard them both. You're very familiar. You probably have memorized both of them. I just want to remind you of them as we begin. For some of you, if you're just starting to hang out around the Word of God and and hang out with Christians, it might be new thoughts for you, and they'll sound radical to you. But, but they're good. The first is this. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, right? Notice how Jesus is flipping the script. I just knocked the microphone down. Mic drop. 
Notice how Jesus is flipping the script. Instead of saying, where your heart is, there will your treasure be, Jesus is revealing powerful truth to us, and that is that it is exactly the opposite. Where your treasure is, let me just be really crass, where your money is, there will your heart be also, right? We know this principle as skin in the game, right? If someone has skin in the game, then their heart will follow. What is the skin in the game? It's money, right? If you have some investment in something, your heart will be there also. Let me put it even differently. The movement of your money directs the movement of your heart. Wow. The movement of your money directs, circle that, right? directs the movement of your heart. So, so Jesus is giving us incredible insight into our own nature, right? Where your treasure is, where what you value is, there will your heart be also, right? Again, we were speaking about money, but it plays into every aspect of what you treasure. People ask me for the longest time, where is home for you? I have lived here seven times longer than any other place in my life, right? But you know where home has been for me for 65 years? Where my parents were. Ventura, California. And so... So, wow, being back there is, is grieving not only the loss of my parents, but the loss of my home. Please don't misunderstand me. Um, one of the powerful realizations that Karen and I have had is um, you are our family. And you have been our home. But I treasured that relationship with my parents, right? No, not everybody does, but I did. And so home was where they are. By the way, one of the really weird things is they're gone. The house is going to be sold. Um, Now we're it. Now we're the patriarchs and matriarchs of our family. Now, Now it's official. Home is Evansville, Indiana. And probably it will be till we die. Isn't that crazy? Wow, I'm sorry to emote all over you, and, and, uh, but, but all these principles are there, right? They're there in Scripture. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But then, then right as we're reeling from that one, right? Right as we're, we're trying to say, wow, this recenters me in a different place here, he hits us with another one. You cannot serve both God and money. Right? You cannot serve. No one can serve two masters, right? For either he'll hate the one or love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know, again, Jesus is surprising me. What is the opposite of God? In your practical experience, where does your mind go? Pardon me? That's what I would do, right? right? He doesn't do that. Right. By the way, one of our vulnerabilities is that we give Satan way too much credit. Right? He he does not have the power and ability that we give him. And if we suffer under his head, it's because we allowed him to do that. Right? 
We let him speak into our life. I would have thought the same thing. I would have thought that you cannot serve both God and Satan, right? Now, please don't. I'm not equating money with Satan. Let's, let's just say this right up front. Money is inanimate, right? Um, money is neutral, right? Um, money is a tool. How many different illustrations can I use? Um, but, but all of a sudden, Jesus is peering into our hearts, and he's, he's recognizing that the greatest threat to our relationship with God is probably not the evil one. The evil one has no power, and thus we give it to him. The greatest threat here, he actually uses, um, uh, I'm not sure, Jordan, is it Aramaic or Hebrew? I think it's Hebrew word mammon, which is that larger picture um, uh, of of uh, money, yes, the, the shorthand for it, but it's really things. It's really, and now I'm getting personal, stuff. Stuff. Karen and I have so much stuff. We have to have a storage unit, right? Our garage is filled with stuff, right? It's, isn't that amazing? Um, and, 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 which rules over which, right? Which rules over which? Um, how much do we pay for that storage unit, right? How, how, much, how much do we pay psychologically every time we go in the garage, right? Uh, um, uh, stuff takes over your life, right? There's some, by the way, very gifted people in our midst who have figured that out and, and who have intentionally uh, and and sequentially gotten rid of stuff, and they're my heroes, right? They are my heroes. And I, I like to think that I, I could um, overcome those obstacles, um, but I think it's going to take a full-court press to be able to do it, right? Jesus said the greatest competition for your relationship with God is stuff. Certainly money, but also stuff. Money can buy you stuff, but before you know it, it's your stuff that owns you. So what do we do here? Let's get practical for a second. Two commands are right here. Two commands of Jesus are right here in the scripture. Don't store up earthly treasures. Don't store up stuff, right? Secondly, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. In other words, I know it's cliche, but you can't take it with you. How about, how about two cliches tied together? You can't take it with you, but you can pay it forward, right? You can send it on ahead. Don't store up earthly treasure. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. Look to be generous. In your Sunday school classes, in your small group, you'll explore that middle paragraph that looks so out of place about the eye being bad. If you have stink eye, right? If your eye is bad, that's a, that's a Hebrew idiom for, for um, being, not being generous, for being stingy, right? If, if, if your eye is stingy, if you look at the world with stinginess, then darkness is going to rule in your life. But if instead your eye is clear, the Hebrew idiom for a generous person, um, if your eye is clear, then, then your whole body will be full of light. Look to be generous. And we'll explore this in the weeks ahead. Come on up, worship team. Look to be generous to God, 
first. We'll explore that together. Look to be generous to the last and the least and the lost, right? Truly, Jesus said, as you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me, right? Look to be generous to those who cannot pay you back, James reminds us. And then, and then finally, just let generosity take over your soul. Look to be generous to anyone who asks of you. What are you, are you talking about that guy in the corner? Um, but then gets in, his, gets in his nice car and drives home after he begs. Um, that's not your responsibility, right? God is much more interested in your heart than he is in that guy's motives, right? Or that gal's motives. Uh, this is going to take work, beloved. It's going to take work for us to become generous like God is generous. But how, how did God become generous? Well, one of the first verses you ever memorized was John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Um, as we begin this new year together, as we begin this new series together, would you risk breaking up your hardened heart? Would you risk opening your eyes anew to the Word of God? Would you risk letting God, through His Holy Spirit, do this work in you. Pray with me if you would. Oh God, thank you that you did not create a world and then just let it go and, and hope it worked out okay. No, God, you stayed engaged. You are as present right now in this room as the people sitting next to you, next to us. So God, I just ask that with the psalmist today, you might hear our cry. Would you, would you allow that, that we could learn to honor you in every aspect of our lives? Lord, would you break the chains that bind our hearts? Would you set us free from the addictions that, that uh, physically, emotionally, and spiritually keep us from risking opening our hearts to you. God, we give you our minds. We give you our emotions. We give you our will, our hearts, God, and invite you to be glorified in them. For we ask it in Jesus' name. As we begin our communion service, we're going to invite you to, um, once again, just come as you are to the table of the Lord. Beginning with those of you in the very back, we're going to invite you to come down the side aisles. Pick up the elements, if you would. Um, there's both uh, cups of juice, and then there's, um, there's the COVID cups. If you're more comfortable with the sealed cups, you're welcome to grab those. Come back to your uh, seats, and we'll partake of those elements together. Uh, come, would you, to the table of the Lord.